And our Old Testament lesson this morning comes from Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 through 9. Isaiah 42, 1 through 9, which can be found on page 1125 in your pew Bibles. Before we read, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day. And we thank you that you have uh, given us your word, that we can know better who you are and who we are uh, made to be and called to be as your people, created to reflect you into all of creation. So Lord, we ask that you would help us this morning as we hear your word read and proclaimed to hear your word, and not just with uh, our ears, but also with our minds, with our hearts. God, that by your word and your spirit, you would even today be changing us into the people that you've created us to be in relationship with you through Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 9. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching the islands will put their hope. This is what God, the Lord, says, the creator of the heavens, who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the, for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. I, I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place, and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. Turning then to John chapter 6, verses 52 through 59. Jesus speaking uh, to the crowds after they have followed him, after he had uh, fed the 5,000 and they came wanting another free meal. And he's telling them that's not exactly what he's come for. Then they grumbled at him with what we saw last week. And then he said, I am the bread of life. Then, starting in 52, then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died. But whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. 
He said this while teaching in a synagogue in Capernaum. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This morning we are continuing a story in the book of Acts that we have been looking at, uh, well, for months, if you want to put it that way. But a particular story that we've been looking at the last couple of weeks, um, and we've got the spreading of the message of Jesus from the disciples. And this is what the whole book of Acts really is about, is we have at the very beginning of the book of Acts, you have uh, Jesus saying to the disciples, you are going to be my witnesses. When the Holy Spirit comes on you in power, you are going to be my witnesses in all Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And as we go through the whole book of Acts, we see this message of Jesus spreading in those areas, in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we've actually seen it in the book of Acts so far being spread all through Jerusalem and then through Judea and Samaria. And now we're at the part where it's actually going to the ends of the earth, and we get into some really dicey topics here. Because up until this point, the spread of the gospel is, exact, is still going to pretty much the kinds of people that the disciples had always imagined it would go to. But starting today, I mean, there have been some, you know, kind of pushing the boundaries here when we get into Samaritans and things. Eh, okay, maybe we can uncomfortably welcome them in as well. But now we're getting to something completely different that they were not really expecting. We're going to see how that goes today and then next week, next week how uh, that news is received back home again. Here we have uh, Acts chapter 10. And um, we are not going to have the time today to go through verse by verse and pull it apart as we usually do. So we're just going to read the whole thing, and I'm going to peg out some highlights of what this is about, what was going on there, and what this means for us today. So this is Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 23. Um, Oh, I do need to give you some context first. This is, uh, last week we looked at two people, Cornelius and Peter, and Cornelius was a Roman centurion living in Caesarea. And this is, um, he, he is not Jewish. And that is the real point. He is not Jewish. He and Peter have almost nothing in common. And he is a Roman who is, th- those were the enemies of uh, the Israelites at that point because they were over the region. The Israelites were subjugated by Rome. And so when people were looking for a Messiah to come, that's what they were wanting, is for someone to come, for God to raise up someone in Israel to get rid of the Romans. Like, that's what God's supposed to do. And so last week we see somebody who is a Roman, and not just a Roman who's kind of living in the area, who's living in the area as a Roman centurion who is part of their military occupying force, and he's overseeing part of the occupying force in Israel. This is not somebody who's going to make the... um, the guest list at any Jewish function. <laughs> they don't want this guy around. But what we saw last week is God actually appears to this man in Caesarea and says, send to, uh, send to Joppa. There's a guy named Peter staying there. Have him come. And we're going to see how that goes. Because then we saw Peter, who is staying in Joppa, and he has this vision of 
this sheet with all kinds of animals, clean and unclean, coming down. And God says, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, no, I can't do that. Yes, you can. <laughs> he says, don't call it unclean if I've made it clean. And so Peter realizes that uh, what God is telling him to do is not just about the food and what he can eat, but that God is doing a new thing in uh, making these people he had previously seen as unclean, as clean as well. And so right then, we see the people come to the house and invite him to come to Caesarea to this Roman centurion named Cornelius. And Peter says, okay. So he invites them to stay the night. Uh, This is verse 23. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You're well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So, when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour, at three in the afternoon. Suddenly, a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. So there's the whole thing. We're not going to, like I say, go through verse by verse, but let me just hit some of the highlights. One thing uh, is kind of what we looked at last week of Peter being called to go to this man's house. 
this is something we have a hard time relating to. But what Peter's being asked to do is to put Jesus first. And that's one of those things that's really easy to say (laughs) that we do. It's a whole other thing to live it out. And so for Peter, what's being asked of him is to put Jesus ahead of Peter's own religious identity, ethnic identity, national identity, all the things that he'd been uh, raised his prejudices against the Romans and against those occupying soldiers. And to now go to this man because Jesus is first. And so uh, we've been talking about, this is part three of the series, uh, get up, because there's the same word that keeps being used in the Greek, and it, the last two weeks it's actually translated get up. This time it's not. Something else is, which kind of makes it confusing. But when he gets to Cornelius' house, did you notice the reception that was ready for him? When he gets to Cornelius' house, they're ready. They are ready, and not just Cornelius himself, but he's invited friends and family, come on over, because God is sending someone here to tell us something. So they've all gathered around. And then when Peter shows up, how does Cornelius respond? He actually falls down at his feet, as though he's bowing to Peter, as though Peter himself is someone special, worthy of worship, that sort of thing. And what does Peter say to him? Get up. <laughs> it's the same word we've been looking at this whole time. And I love that. It's, it is a word that just means, you know, stand up, which is how it's translated here. Uh, just stand up. Like, you can get up on your feet. But it's also what we've been looking at as this word that can be used to anywhere from just standing on your feet to rising from the dead. And so what we've been looking at is this idea of living a different life because of Jesus rising from the dead. That's the other time it's used in this passage, by the way, is when it talks about Jesus who uh, rose from the dead. It's the same word. And so we, as those who follow him, are living a resurrection kind of life here and now. One of the things that means is that it changes how we interact with each other, how, it interact, how we interact with our friends and our families and our uh, co-workers, business associates, how we interact with our enemies and our neighbors, and a lot of those, if you were to draw out all those circles, there may be some overlap there as to who are... Sometimes you have family that's also enemies. I don't know. But, but how we interact with all of those people in a way that is not our way, that's his way. We put Jesus first. So, uh, so Peter goes, and he, he actually gets a really uh, willing audience where he goes to speak to these people, and they are all gathered together waiting to hear what it is that he has to tell them. And then he begins, and he, uh, and he tells them, the things they already know. And I like that. He kind of starts with this, look, you know the message God has sent to the people of Israel. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea. Um, You know all these stories you've heard about Jesus. You've been around. People have been talking about this stuff. 
The rumor is out. You know that. But then he doesn't stop there. But he says, now let me tell you what I know as someone who knows Jesus. This is not just rumor and hearsay anymore. Now this is firsthand testimony. This is eyewitness testimony. Let me tell you about the Jesus who I ate with after he rose from the dead. That's very different from hearing, you know, I heard from a guy who heard from a guy that, you know, something happened over there. Who knows what really happened? Peter says, I know what really happened. (laughs) I've talked with him. I walked with him. I ate with him. And so Peter moves from just the general information that's out there to the specific testimony. And so we go back and we think about what it was that Jesus said was going to happen. He said, you are going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and at the ends of the earth. And what we're seeing right now is Peter being that witness and testifying to somebody who's not, not a part of Jerusalem or Judea or Samaria, but who really is a part of this ends of the earth kind of thing. Although there will still be more and plenty of that to come. And then, of course, what happens when Peter is explaining this message of Jesus. He gets down to the part where he says, uh, he commanded us to preach to the people and testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. And all the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. That is something that they probably would have agreed with intellectually, but within their own group. Like, sure, anyone of us who believes in God, sure, will receive forgiveness of sins. But what Peter is saying here is that, no, 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 that's not what's been pointed out. That's not what's been prophesied throughout the whole of the Old Testament. It's actually saying everyone, not just everyone of our group, but everyone across all those lines of division, everyone who believes in him, receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And then what we have here is what one commentator called the, uh, the Pentecost of the Gentiles. And so just as we saw in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2 when uh, the disciples are all gathered together for the, uh, the day of Pentecost, and we see the Holy Spirit coming on each of them and then speaking uh, in tongues and preaching about Jesus to all who are near, we see the same kind of thing happening now with Gentiles. And why do we see this happening here? Is that because that's exactly how it goes every time anybody meets Jesus? No. But it it is what we see happen when new groups of people that nobody ever thought God would, that God would be saving them, not those people. And then he pours out his spirit on them in a way in which nobody around could say, I don't know, are they, is God really for them or not? But anybody around has to say, yeah, this isn't just our idea. This isn't us thinking, I don't know, maybe. This is God declaring, yes, I'm here for them as well. And so we have Peter in uh, making a move right here that I don't think anybody saw coming, but he says, let's baptize him. This Roman centurion who a few days ago, I wouldn't have even come into his house. Let's baptize him. 
He is as much a part of the family of God as I am as an Israelite, as a uh, Jewish man who has grown up knowing the Torah and who has walked alongside Jesus. He says, no, this, this guy is as much a part of it as I am. Let's baptize him. Now, there's going to be a lot of question going forward in the early church about, well, wait a second. What does this mean for somebody who is not Jewish to come to Jesus? Do they have to become Jewish? Do they have to go through all the same uh, rights? Do they have to obey all the law? And you'll see that as it gets worked out, the short answer is, no, they don't. No, they don't. It's not a matter of getting everybody to come to, um, to Jerusalem and come to uh, the law that way and to come to uh, circumcision and all those outward signs. But instead, it's come to Jesus. That's the thing. And it's not just come to Jesus, but it's Jesus coming out to them and thus proclaiming the news wherever people are who don't already know him. And that's what we see Peter doing here. This is, this is one of those parts of, uh, of the Bible where we see the diversity that there's supposed to be in the church. And that is one of those modern-day buzzwords that as soon as you say diversity, everybody thinks that, um, well, everybody gets uncomfortable, but for different reasons. Um, but that's because in the last oh, couple decades, anyway, the idea of diversity has been something that has been promoted for its own sake, as though diversity is something that we should have just for the sake of diversity. And unfortunately, the Bible, or unfortunately, Christians have kind of pushed back on that in some ways and said, no, if we're having diversity for the sake of diversity, that's ridiculous. We're not going to do that. And on the one hand, that makes sense. On the other hand, biblically, throughout, from this point on, through the rest of the New Testament, what we see is diversity being promoted. And in fact, what Peter said here is that's actually what's been prophesied throughout the whole Old Testament too. It's just everybody kept missing it. But that's what the prophets were talking about, is it was not just for Israel. And in fact, we go back to the promise when God first calls Abraham. And he says that it's through you all nations on the earth will be blessed. So it's not just for Israel, but it's for everybody. And, uh, and so here's the thing when it comes to the diversity thing. The reason why diversity is important in the church is not, because divorce, is not because diversity is important in and of itself. The reason that diversity is important in the church is because that is the way that Christians can actually show, and not just tell, but show that Jesus really is more important than anything else in their life. That Jesus really is the way that we identify ourselves that I am a Christian first, and everything else falls after that. And what we do instead is we say, no, 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 I am a Republican first, and, you know, Christian second. I am an American first, and a Christian second. I am, and you fill in the blank with how we self-identify, and our identities these days, that's where we've got all kinds of identity politics going on, where everybody gets in their group of how they identify, and you say, this is how I identify. And then you say, and we should all just get together in our various identities for the sake of diversity. That is not what the Bible is talking about. But what the Bible is talking about is saying, you need to know who it is who created you. 
You need to know your creator, the one who loves you more than anyone loves you, who knows all the things that are ticking in your heart. Your desires, the ones that are good and the ones that are not good. Says, don't identify yourself by your desires, by your likes. Identify yourself by your creator. Identify yourself by your redeemer, the one who has died for you and called you to be a part of him. And when we put him first, then this is where we end up with diversity. We say, I'm a Christian, and you have somebody who sides completely opposite with you on a political issue. And they say, I'm a Christian too. And instead of saying, but we're political enemies, you say, we're family. We are part of the family of Jesus. Or when you have people across uh, ethnic boundaries or across national, national boundaries, you don't say, you're North Korean? I'm an American. We are enemies. You say, I'm a Christian. They say, I'm a Christian too. You say, we are family. This is the kind of diversity that the Bible is talking about. This is why it was such a huge deal for Peter to go into Cornelius's house to actually be in a Roman centurion's house. What he was saying by doing that is Jesus means more to me than my ethnic identity, my national identity, my political identity, all of those things. Jesus comes first. That's who I am now. I am a follower of Jesus. And if Jesus tells me to go talk to this guy and tell him about Jesus too, then that's what I'm going to do. And then if I see that God is actually working in his life as well, then hallelujah. (laughs) Praise God. Now let's baptize him. We're family. So, I don't know. Does this have anything to do with us today? I think so. I think so. I think we are being called as those who are supposed to get up, who are to live differently than the whole rest of the world who are to show in our relationships Jesus is first above all those other divisions, that he's the one who breaks down those divisions. Unfortunately, it has been said that 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning is the most segregated hour in America. Because what we have done is we have tried to find other people that are kind of like us, that we can worship Jesus together with them. And unfortunately, that is not a good witness to what it means to put Jesus first and all those other divisions. Uh, Well, farther down the road. So, the challenge for this week. Last week, you were to find someone who doesn't fit and be praying for them specifically by name. And if God calls you uh, to be the one to share Jesus with him, to be praying for yourself that you'd be ready to do that. This week, the challenge is to continue that. (laughs) But I also want you to look at identity. What is it that, uh, that you see as your primary identity? What is it then that divides you one person from another? And when you see somebody on the other side... What is that line that they're on the other side of? And how is it that Jesus can break down that line?
that you can be family, even with those very different. That's a challenge. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.